Uh, so where did you wind up? Uh, well, I managed to get out of hyperspace, and I ended up landing in Christina's apartment, so now I'm just, like, bunking with her until this is all over. Uh, Christina, say hi to Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay! Hi, Christina! Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they them. I've forgotten everything about what your hint was, Lindsay. All I remember is that it was your week. So, what's up? Well, anyway, my hint was terrible and I think I'm just terrible at giving hints that aren't, you know. When was the last time either of us gave a good hint that wasn't just like literally the tagline of the thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, this week we are rebooting the super obscure tween show Guinevere Jones and dipping back into Arthurian legend again. What if Avalon High, but different? Yeah, basically. Everybody wants teens to go to Camelot. Kids these days never go to Camelot. Back in my day. <laughs> it was like this thing back in like the 90s 2000s for Arthurian stuff yeah do, do you remember I can't remember what it was called but it was the cartoon about King Arthur and his knights get like imprisoned in stone by Morgan Le Fay or something and so Merlin teleports a football team to Camelot from the future I heard about that one King Arthur and the Knights of Justice oh boy that was an 80s cartoon, right? To sell toys? I th- Late 80s, early 90s, because I watched it on TV, like... Oh boy. But this is a tween show, so we're selling clothes? Probably, I don't know, stuff that might go into Hot Topic for the younger crowd? Yes, King Arthur Hot Topic. I mean, there was a proto-goth in there. Also, I discovered one of the... One of the actors on the show went on to play a Power Ranger, so. Oh, fun. Yeah, um, I'll talk about him in a bit. So, Guinevere Jones was a Canadian-Australian fantasy television series and Australian, a series of- Australian, that makes sense. Yeah, and a series of four novels created by uh, Elizabeth Stewart. It revolved around the adventures of the title character as she uses magic to fight evil, while at the same time dealing with the problems and difficulties of high school. It ran- uh, in Canada from starting May 4th, 2002 on YTV and debuted 10 days later in Australia and ran for uh, 26 episodes over two seasons. Lindsay, I just, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let you announce when you get there. But I did just scroll down the cast list and see who plays King Arthur. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was astonished. <laughs> but let's build to that. Okay. So, anyway, our main characters are Gwen Jones. She's, you know, teenage girl, quite independent, passionate, temperamental, all this sort of stuff. You know, typical 14-year-old um, who has magic. Uh, she's living with a foster family. And she discovers that she is the reincarnation of Queen Guinevere from the Arthurian legends. And she is also being mentored in how to use her magic and how to fight the forces of darkness by Merlin. 
her best friend is Tasha, who's, you know, intelligent and wacky. I, I guess she's meant to be quirky. She, They dress Tasha up like, I don't know, kind of a mix of... Who was Mia's best friend from the Princess Diaries? Because there was a particular look in the early 2000s with, like, a lot of barrettes and crop tops and, like, the baggy cargos. Uh... Lily Moskovitz. Yeah, Lily Moskovitz. So think like Lily Moskovitz and a little bit of Janice from Mean Girls, but like for a middle schooler. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can visualize those girls in my head. Yeah, Tasha, she's kind of like like that. She also uh, knows magic and she works at a cafe, even though she's 14. I guess Australian child labor laws are different. Um is it a family business? It doesn't say. Maybe if it is, uh, then could kind of get away with it. And it's not a huge stretch, because here you can start working at 15 if you have parents' permission. Yeah. So anyway, she has a twin brother named uh, Josh Mayers. So Josh is like the more clean-cut, kind of preppy-looking guy, bit straight-laced, uh, hopeless romantic, and is quite spent with Gwen. And he wants to protect her and all that, but Gwen is like, no, I I don't need no man. <laughs> and then there's Michael Medina. I put a pin in Michael Medina, okay? There's going to be some major changes to this character. Is he a bad boy? Yeah, dark, intense, mysterious, protected by some sort of force. All the girls want him. Does he have a leather jacket? He's a bit too young for the leather jacket, but like- You're never too young for a leather jacket. Look at what his actor grew up into. He- Oh my gosh, this this guy was born to play bad boys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they just looked at this actor and it's like, you are just bad boys. It's Polo! It's, yeah. it's fucking Polo! <laughs> <laughs> to our younger listeners, there was a Lizzie McGuire movie and he played- Paolo Valisari. The dirt bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his other big thing was being in, like, Nano 210. Yeah, and apparently Pretty Little Liars, which I've never seen Pretty Little Liars, but I'm pretty sure that every boy on Pretty Little Liars was a bad boy. Yeah. There ain't no good people in that one. <laughs> um, so the recurring characters are like Merlin... Does Merlin really need an introduction by this point? He's Merlin. Yeah. So our Power Ranger is Spencer Huang, who is played by Elgin Abella. Basically, he's kind of like the nerdy sidekick who helps out with the research side. Um, Tanner, who did he play? He played Theo Martin on Power Rangers Jungle Fury. He was the Blue Ranger. Uh, he was smarter than you. Damn it. <laughs> had a crush on the yellow ranger yeah that was a season where you could so easily pair basically every single uh, face character with another one yeah and also be because of my incorrect power rangers blog i very much overlapped the personality of theo with the personality of mateo liwanog from superstore <laughs> oh Oh, okay. So there's this one character named Rain Davidson. She's kind of like the mean girl. She's got a bit of magic herself. She's not really that important. Put a pin in her because I'm going to do stuff with her. And Yeah, and you should do something with her because early on it says that she's got magic and she's a mean girl. It's like, what? She's not like 
the daughter of Morgan Le Fay or like some reincarnation or anything. She's just a random mean girl with magic. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and then you have the big bad, who's Morgan Le Fay. Um, again, do we need an introduction? Actually, we kind of do have to talk about her a bit because she's one of those characters who was like pre-Arthur. She seems to have been a fairly independent character from Arthur. And then she got retconned into being one of his sisters slash half-sisters because like- Slash lover. And, ugh, God, disguise. <laughs> Originally, Mordred was- <sighs> This family tree is weird because like sisters got combined and decombined frequently. Yeah, no- you know you're a pen dragon when your family tree is a straight line. <laughs> it's as bad as the Habsburgs. <laughs> Don't be like the Habsburgs, people. <laughs> I think we got that across in our 1632 episode. Don't be a Habsburg. Yeah. And surprisingly, they're still Habsburgs. They're still Medicis. <laughs> yeah. I just saw Tumblr post the other day, like, ima imagine having descendants, or imagine having ancestors that you could kill in an Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> yes. I mean, if Assassin's Creed wanted to set uh, a game in, like, Tudor England or during the Stuart period, like, I have a lot of relatives who could be targets. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the big surprise here was who got to play King Arthur in the flashbacks? Chris fucking Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> like I know that this was an Austra partially an Australian series. The the Hemsworths were not what they are now. Well, specifically Chris. He's just he was just some guy. Yeah, he was a young up and coming actor in Australia. Who knew that just, he would be just another run of the will Australian twink. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that he would turn into fucking Thor? Oh my god, this wig! <laughs> I know! I'm... Chris Hemsworth is about to run up a hill to make a deal with God! <laughs> I have to close this town, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> this series had a budget of like three dollars <laughs> hey that's a bigger budget than power rangers <laughs> uh, wasn't this at the time when power rangers had disney money power rangers never had disney money even when it was owned by disney <laughs> oh yeah they they really didn't care about having power rangers no Anyway, yes, baby Chris Hemsworth was in this. A Power Ranger was in it be because this is so Australian. And I guess they filmed it in Australia, too, because most of the actors are Australian. And, you know, better weather than, I don't know, Toronto and <laughs> Vancouver. <laughs> I mean, Vancouver, like, you don't have to deal with the snow, but it's, like, raining half the time. Anyway, so... What we're going to do with this, because I did some, I kind of went on, okay, so you know how Red on um, OSP reviews sometimes goes into these research holes and kind of finds like weird connections between various things? Like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of did that with Guinevere. Okay. 
Yeah. So basically, the structure, how I envision the series, like I still want to want to cater this more towards the tween and young teen crowd. Right. Because there's, as many a person, mostly YouTube commenters have pointed out, there's kind of a dearth of tween shows that, you know, aren't too kiddish, but aren't basically, you know, Riverdale, Pretty Little Liars, and the reboot of uh, Gossip Girl being, like, super sexed up and all that. Yeah. Which, completely understand. Like, I would say some of those shows are just, like, adult shows with teen protagonists. Yeah. And then I'm like, why isn't this set in college? Yeah, there there is a lack of middle grade shows. Yeah. But, like, I don't want this to be super kiddy. I want, you know, to have some respect for the audience. So we are going to go into some interesting places, some dark places, because uh, this is the Camelot story. The backstory's kind of... Nobody comes out happy from this. Yeah. Well, I think that's the fact that we would presumably be having middle graders portraying the characters. Yeah. And I think the biggest difference between a kid's show and a middle grade show is that the middle grade show doesn't talk down to the kids. Yes. I mean, there, there are good kid shows that don't talk down either. Like, Steven Universe doesn't talk down to them, and I think that's why it has such a popular adult fan base. Yeah. But I'm thinking stuff like, it doesn't hold their hand... And it doesn't like act like they don't know anything. It no, it recognizes what they, they know about the world at that age. Yeah, we're probably not going to have the sort of wild plots that Degrassi had, but probably like Degrassi levels of maturity. Yeah, and we don't have to go out of our way to do it because it's it's the Camelot myths. Yeah, which is there's <laughs> affairs, there's fighting, there's death, there's we're going to talk about Mordred at some point. <laughs> Because that's the whole surprise incest is kind of, mm, don't know how I feel about that. Chrétien de Troyes. Um, so anyway, <laughs> my weird research into Guinevere, because she is an interesting character in that there's like literature about her, like especially like starting with second wave feminists, you know, reclaiming mythological and historical women, mostly white women, um, and trying to hold them up as like feminist icons and all that sort of stuff but also like a weird dearth of information about her because of weird medieval stuff and christianization and all that sort of stuff so anyway i started with the etymology of her name so guinevere it comes from a couple of welsh words that basically means the white enchantress the white fay or the white ghost uh from the proto-celtic window which is fair, white, or holy, and sebara, sebara, which means magical being. Now, she, or her name, uh, has the same entomological etymological roots, I almost said bug studies, um, <laughs> of, an, of an Irish character named Finnebar. Uh, Finnebar was, or Findebar, uh, she was the daughter uh, King Eilil Makmata of Connacht and Queen Maeve of Connacht from the uh, from the Tain or the Cattle Raid of Clooney. She isn't like a big character, but her presence is a big plot motivator in the Cattle Raid of Clooney. Okay, because 
okay, so the Cattle Raider Clooney, that's the one with uh, Kukulain just being oh, okay. a fucking badass and right. basically leads to his death. And basically Queen Mob is trying to, or Queen Maeve is trying to kill Kukulain because he's the warrior for her for her ex-husband, basically. Um, and Queen Maeve offers her daughter Findabar as a prize for any warrior who will, is willing to fight and kill Kukulain. And then something dinged in my head. <laughs> Sounded a lot like fucking Helen of Troy. Oh. And the thing about Helen of Troy and what some researchers have kind of been wondering about is if she was an actual goddess, like not just a demigoddess, but a goddess, in that her own name uh, which means torch in Greek, shares roots with the Proto-Indo-European word for the sun goddess Saule, who pops up here and there throughout a lot of Indo-European mythologies mm -hmm. in various forms. And her whole story about her marriage and her kidnapping and all that seems to be tied to this hypothetical marriage drama that seems to be common across several Indo-European mythologies. She shares this sort of thing with the Proto-Indo-European dawn goddess, who was also kind of a love goddess. So bringing this back to Guinevere and the whole, like, her, she's related to the color white and light... And her name means the white enchantress or the white ghost, the white spirit. Like, I'm thinking, huh, there's something going on here. And then I looked up because there's another weird connection to the Oak King and the Holly King. Basically, these two personifications of summer and winter who are constantly battling each other with the idea that the Oak King represents summer. And he kills the Holly King and is at his greatest power during the summer solstice. And the Holly King kills him, kills the Oak King during winter. And there's a whole bunch of Welsh mythological figures who fit this motif. And I'm like, what if Arthur and Mordred's conflict came from this motif too? Oh. And they connected in with the marriage drama of the sun goddess. So now I got, like, my backstory plot plus what's going to become the A plot of this tween series. <laughs> <laughs> because if she's a reincarnation, she can't be the only reincarnated Arthurian character in this series. And she can't just be fighting the forces of darkness. So this is yeah. where I go back to Morgan Le Fay and Michael. So I'm going to change Michael to Michaela. Because we gotta LGBTQ this up. <laughs> yeah. Combining Michael with Rain. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So we get this antagonistic, maybe a bit... I was thinking, like, the whole, you know, preppy mean girl has kind of been done to death. Like, we've all seen it. There's not much that you can do on it. And honestly, uh, Cheryl Blossom is kind of the queen of it now. So... <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna you're not gonna beat the Queen of the Bees. Yeah. Legitimate plot point from Riverdale. So my general thought was that so we got Guinevere. Uh I'm thinking Josh was giving me less Arthur vibes and more Lancelot vibes. Even though Lancelot was Chrétien de Troyes OC do not steal. But I don't know. Do you think he should be Arthur? 
or Lancelot? Or does Arthur be like the ghost who shows up? The ghostly Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I I like Arthur as a ghost or not reincarnated. Because that whole thing of like he'll return in the hour of need, maybe that means that like he's just still a guy in stasis. Yeah, he's hanging out with like Finn McCool and Frederick Barbarossa under a mountain yeah. somewhere. And then if someone is able to find and wield Excalibur again. They're Arthur, or maybe Guinevere becomes worthy of Excalibur, or becomes the protector of Excalibur. Yeah. It also, it would make sense if Arthur and Mordred are supposed to kind of take on the same kind of cyclical conflict as the Oak King and the Holly King. It would make sense if they don't reincarnate, or if they are the reincarnations or avatars of these beings, yeah. rather than just normal human souls getting cycled through time. Yeah. Whereas Guinevere is the one who gets cycled through. Yeah. Guinevere and Lancelot, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Guinevere, Lancelot, and then you have Rain. Yeah, as I said, I combined uh, Michaela and Rain. Um, and when it comes to like how she's bitchy towards people, I was thinking like she's more the academic alpha bitch. In my mind, I have it as like she's kind of Rachel Berry. <laughs> like that type of alpha bitch. She's not popular, and she's not popular because she's fucking difficult to deal with. And she's got to be like, oh, yes, I'm Little Miss Perfect. See, my thinking, I was going in the opposite direction, that she's kind of the weird loner goth. Oh, okay. And that's something that, if Morgana is still one of the villains, Morgana shows up and kind of plays on that. And it's like, I can teach you real magic to get revenge on the popular kids. But, okay. like, Mor uh, Michaela just focuses her, her ire on Gwen because, mm, I feel weird about her, but I don't know what these feelings are, so they must be hate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, definitely nothing else i definitely am not mad at how pretty i think she is yeah <laughs> now regarding morgan i was almost thinking like some of the early stories like morgan was the antagonist but then she kind of disappears for a while and then is like chill because she's not really related to arthur she was just doing it she's more of emphasis on la fée she is a fairy she does kind of her own thing yeah and she has her own reasoning for doing stuff now, in Arthurian myth, Arthur has anywhere between two and four sisters. Uh, there's Morgan, Morgaus, Elaine, and Anna. And how they're related to him varies, but usually, like, especially after the Vulgate cycle, it's usually uh, Morgan, Morgaus, and Elaine are his half-sisters... Uh, there are Gurna's daughters with her first husband, uh, Galoris, the Duke of Cornwall. And then Anna is his younger sister and his full sister. Now, sometimes Anna is either combined with Elaine and becomes the Duchess of Brittany, or she's combined with Morgaus and becomes the Duchess of Orkney. And then sometimes Anna and Morgaus are combined with Morgan so that she is also the mother of Mordred because Mordred is usually Morgaus's son with the Duke of Orkney, and he's the, like, the older brother to Gareth, uh, to Gawain and Gareth and all of the other, a bunch of other knights at the round table. For simplicity's sake, people frequently just, like, put it into one sister, mm -hmm. Morgan. Now, what I was thinking is, like, maybe Morgan Le Fay is 
an independent fairy figure. Like, she's kind of connected to the Morgan from Irish mythology and maybe Caridwin from Welsh mythology. Like, this fairy magic goddess, fairy queen sort of thing. And she's doing her own thing. But Morgaus is kind of interesting. And I was thinking, okay, Morgaus is the name that she takes on, but also maybe she was known as Anna Pendragon the younger sister of Arthur, and her whole motivation, uh, because maybe she also learned magic, and she's kind of in this nether realm situation like Merlin, is that she blames Guinevere for the downfall of Camelot. Like, she isn't jealous of Guinevere. She's like, you are the reason we all suffered. I guess she is jealous. I don't know. But, like, her manipulations of, uh, which name do you prefer, Michaela or Rain? I prefer Michaela. Okay. So her manipulations of Michaela is like, I want revenge on Guinevere for yeah. all of this. Instead of like, oh, she took my... <sighs> People are bad about Morgan's motivations for anything, really. Why? Because that other woman is pretty. <laughs> well, some have been like, if we go with the older sister route, specifically Arthur, your father killed my father and raped my mother. But I was thinking, Anna, like, if you have this younger sister character who looked up to her big brother and is, like, worshipping at his throne, thinks he's the greatest thing ever, this glorious golden age, and it was all ruined by that harlot! <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be an interesting take on the whole thing because honestly, how many times has the whole, like not to denigrate that whole fucked up situation of what Uther did to Igerna, but like, I think that's been covered a whole lot and maybe another author or another writer can do that for some other Camelot adaptation, but I think it would be interesting to have it from the other perspective of Anna, who has only known this glorious thing, and then it all comes crumbling down. Um, yeah! <laughs> and then there's Merlin, who I think, like, in the show, he and Guinevere would butt heads, and he has a particular way of teaching, but ultimately he's a good guy, because you're meant to protect the innocent peoples and all that sort of stuff, and be the force of good, and I'm like, Merlin's kind of a bastard! In the stories? <laughs> like, he's the one who facilitated the whole, oh yeah, I'm gonna help Uther here kill this dude and fuck this dude's wife. Like, I think Merlin should be more, more sus. And maybe over the course of the series, Gwen kind of realizes some bad shit about her mentor. And it's like, why are you doing this? And maybe he does have ulterior motives. Maybe he's a, he is a bit more selfish and all that. And it's like, yeah, I also kind of want to regain my powers and all that after Nimue sealed me away because she, you know, wouldn't let me fuck her. I should bring up Nimue. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe Morgan is Nimue. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Going further into the whole fairy thing. And this will probably be a shorter episode because I'm like, what are the, <sighs> it's kind of like the whole, like, we start off slow with, like, fairly episodic stuff before the plot really gets going. Probably, like, what, five to ten episodes in? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
do like a simple story arc to sort of establish like what the rules of magic are, um, how things work. Like I'm still kind of uncertain about saying like about like having demons pop up because I think it's overdone. But like I don't know, maybe there's something going on with fairy. Uh, yeah, maybe it's sometimes you gotta fight a fairy. <laughs> Because fairies are tricksters, and oh boy, will they fuck you over. What about a fairy like Gadawain, a troublesome yeah. fairy who in the original was Michael's protector? Yeah. Is this just Morgan's, like, dragon? Not even that! He's just kind of a weird, annoying dude. He eats a lot. <laughs> He's kind of like a lad. <laughs> just a little lad. <laughs> a lad who's... Does he like berries and cream? Well, maybe not a little lad. He has more of, like, a lad who borders on a football hooligan. Okay. Yeah. Having to deal with Gatawain first and maybe binding him or something or, like, getting... Oh, maybe Tasha does some magic stuff and accidentally goes into a contract with Gatawain. Which you shouldn't do. You gotta be careful with fairies. Oh, but maybe she also can outwit him and now he has to kind of work for them, too. And even though, like, it's not a completely perfect contract but it's something like tight enough that she doesn't have to worry as much as one would expect and he is obligated to help them in most situations yeah and then the actual plot might be um like we kind of already covered the whole um treasures of ireland for our um our once upon a time ideas um mm-hmm. like i think yeah the whole marriage drama or at least relationship drama between Gwen, Josh, and Michaela should probably be kind of the driving force in them realizing we're repeating a cycle. Is this a good thing to repeat? Can we break this cycle? Yeah. And still maintain the balance of the world because we're also involved with, you know, nature itself. <laughs> and then yeah, that's about fuck. I am so sorry I ran out of steam right now. No worries. It's, we have done Arthur like four or five times. There's not a lot of new ground we can tread. Yeah. Maybe next time I'll do Robin Hood. Do you think we can get Chris Hemsworth back? Oh, <laughs> That would be great for him to cameo as King Arthur. Maybe he would be down for that. He seems down for a lot of stuff. <laughs> he seems like a chill dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, yeah, that's, the overall plot is, like, trying to figure out how we navigate this. Um, Gwen going back and forth between Josh and Michaela, because confused, pretty, bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, learning how to use her magic. Learning how, like, I think one of the biggest lessons any teenager can learn is is that, like, adults, like, they're not perfect, but they're not not all adults when they do when they fuck up, they're not necessarily like bad. They can just fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you have characters like how I kind of combined Anna and Morgas and how I would like to portray her as someone who is very I would say, like, Morgaus and Merlin are very much stuck in the past, and maybe their goals are trying to recreate Camelot. But, like, 
in particular images that they have. Like, the whole issue with nostalgia is that you're longing for something that never really existed. And you're trying to do this vicariously through children who never went through this. They don't understand why you want this. Or they might, you know, you might sell them on the idea, but then they find out that the past wasn't what you told them it was like. The past is usually, like, at the very least, not great. <laughs> I don't know. They find they actually start reading the stories, and it's like, oh, why are Morgas and Merlin so enchanted with this? Like, everybody kind of suffers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe the whole thing is, like, we're going to do this again, and we're going to do it right. Quote-unquote right. And it's like, really? Yeah, the you realize that you're not infallible and in that, you know, you you can mess up. Because I also see Merlin as a at the very least Merlin supremely arrogant character who buys into his own power after a while. I can't mess up. I know exactly what I'm doing. And it's like, do you, Merlin? Do you? Remember Nimaway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think the themes of, like, nostalgia and revenge and the whole uh, oh Morgas framing revenge as justice and it's like no there's a f there's a difference between revenge and justice because I think that's a topic that doesn't get talked enough or at least it is not talked about intelligently yeah yeah I think the big problem is like it's the whole stop if you do X you're gonna be just like the bad guy and it's like no, like, there has to be consequences for actions. It's just, like, knowing when you're going too far. Yeah. Or when it's, when it becomes selfish. I think, in my mind, revenge is always very selfish and very, it's feeding that, like, a very immediate emotion. I mean, I think, I think there is a good way to go through the, if you, if you kill them, you'll become just like them scenario. But it's. So often that's just it as a, like a, a given instead of actually like going into why it would be bad. Yeah. Laron Ritas did a YouTube video recently about revenge narratives, mostly exploring the difference between like the revenge narrative where the main protagonist is a uh, femme person versus uh, revenge stories now with a masculine protagonist and how... The feminine protagonist tends to get a satisfactory ending, whereas the masculine protagonist for the past while have been doing the whole, the revenge is hollow, like becoming too consumed by that need for revenge. And then when they finally get it, it's not what they want. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a, actually, yeah, that is a theme that we can play with, especially when it comes to Morgos, where it's like, are you going to get the revenge that is going to be satisfactory? Are you going to get your justice or are you going to be left wanting? Or realizing, oh, this cost me too much. And thus we have the apotheosis and resolution eventually. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I see this <laughs> because I barely sketched out anything. Like, it could go... One season, it could go five seasons, or however long teen series goes for go for now on. I don't know. <laughs> and again, like this is stuff that is age appropriate. 
and you know we have the kissing and all that sort of stuff and relationships and the, you know LGBTQ themes and have that up front. Exactly. Yay. Anyway, that's <laughs> it from me. <laughs> all right. In that case, Camelot related segue. <laughs> <laughs> We have to try and go like a year without Camelot. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, French or promo. <laughs> Need a new gay found family podcast? We're a queer led actual D&D play. G- nope. <laughs> <laughs> We're a queer led actual play D&D podcast of four best friends who are currently playing. Hold on. We're a bunch of queers playing D&D. For a podcast, we're lifelong friends. We have space travel, <laughs> magic technology, heist, horses, and a really gooey goblin. I'm stealing all of your stuff. I'm just going to say this entire ad. <laughs> we have great bonus content with the first episode of each arc available for free. <laughs> In the entirety of the first arc, the Bone Rattlers. Uh... Yeah, each art <laughs> is set in a. Excuse me. Each art is set in an in-universe history podcast about each planet in the planetary system. There's more than one. We have a bunch of episodes available for binging and wonderful characters to fall in love with and hate, <laughs> including some jank horses. <laughs> we have multiple arcs out that follow the story of Val, a trite. <laughs> Ten. Val the Triton, an interplanetary <laughs> criminal and MLG gamer. Uh, horse rider extraordinaire. Xerxes, a murderous demon that likes to wear dad hats. And sometimes uh, rides a night horse. horse. Patches, a part-time old lady, full-time ooey-gooey cyborg goblin, and her trusty rusty steed, Horus. And Adam, the small boy technomancer, and their journey as they grow and discover uh, the truth to their pasts. I was going to be mad because I didn't do a character voice, and then I was like, no, <laughs> I did. Magic, Magic Dagger, if the, the true treasure isn't friendship, friendship I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad. If treasure true, friendship bad? <laughs> that was the friendship promo coming to us in our greatest hour of need. Yay. Like this, this day has been weird. Yeah. It is... Mid-April, and we have snow. I can't believe it! Snow! In August! Well, you're from Calgary, and you'd be like, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> when Nanny McPhee came out, all my little cousins loved quoting that whenever we got snow in August, which is a regular occurrence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and honestly, it should be more normal in England than it is in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you'd think! Island most known for its precipitation. <laughs> Anyways, before we get d- pulled into a conversation about the weather, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? <laughs> um, I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. It's list spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-P-O- N-I-I-R-Y-F pod. Those are the letters for not if I reboot you first, and they're pronounced with an Australian accent. 
Not even going to attempt that. <laughs> N-I-I-R-Y-F pod. That's not a podcast. This is a podcast. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't challenge you about that. It ends badly. <laughs> Email us at notifiverbootyourfirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and I don't know, your weird wiki walks when you realized um oh shit. Proto Indo European mythology is kind of weird and connected with everything. But don't send us anything about Arthurian lore. Yeah, we need to do a moratorium. The well is dry. <laughs> um, but the email is also where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or a proof first read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast, your YouTube, or even your DeviantArt. Not if I reboot you first as a member of the court of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by Sean Clake, whose contact info is available upon request. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sotol, Assiniboine, and homeland of the Métis. So, so Lindsay. <laughs> Jinx. Not really. Jinx. Besides, I don't like Pepsi. You have uh, a hint for us. I do. Okay, so I have been thinking a lot about guys shot up in space. Okay. Due to the current events. Oh, yeah. Do <laughs> you know, like, Mike, Joel, Jonah, myself, Jason Voorhees. Oh. <laughs> I think it's time we send another guy into space, though. Oh, okay. And even though it is spring, we're going to have a lot of dead teens. Yeah, yeah. It's never too late for dead teens. Exactly. Or too early. Or too early, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have that dream next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. (laughs) 